pass it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hello. How's it going? Welcome to Five Strike Final, the only highly distributed audio discussion discussing all things Atlanta United. I'm JCM Jones from Dirty South Soccer. Joe Patrick from Dirty South Soccer is over there. Say hello, Joe. Did the five stripes stop? Did did they stop? I'm checking. I I, I feel like they've stopped. I'm checking. I'm checking. No, still going. Five stripes stop. Okay. Mm. Mm. Um. What do you What have you been doing? What have you been doing over this last like a million days since there was last a game since we last had a game? God, it's been it's been years, been years, man. I uh, I started school. I uh, I got kicked in the shin a bunch at pickup soccer. Uh, I'm limping now. I, I I I bought a house. I started a family. I, I got a dog. <laughs> Lost that dog. Got another dog named it after that same dog that died. It's been a lot. It's been a lot. Did you get? A did lot. you get a thigh? Did you get a thigh tattoo of the dog that died? No, no, no. Back tattoo. It's right under the Lorenowitz one. It's right okay. under it. No, yeah, nice. Nice. it's almost like he's eating the the tats. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show you in the press box on Sunday. Uh, we do have a game Sunday. Isn't that great? It's been a while. It's been uh, what, like 15, 16 days since the last game. Um, I've, I've lost count to be perfectly honest. I do not know. It's been a long ass time. It's been a second and we're not used to having these long breaks this year. Uh, but, uh, we're, 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 de- we're coping with it in our own special ways. Uh, this one goes down Sunday, 4 PM Eastern Columbus crew come to Atlanta once again, Joe Patrick. I hope it's better than the Columbus- last time. Columbus Crew is a funny one because we've beat them every time we've played them except for the one time that it mattered. Right. You know, we, we, we've beaten them. Which was essentially a draw. Like twice. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was a draw after a regular time. If, if that were a regular season game, obviously that would have been a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, still, dis- despite all those regular season wins, the, the only game I can recall is just that one, that, that one bad one. Yeah. Um, no, where Zach really Steffen cool. just had our number and it's always scary. Like when you, ha- when, when you play against a team that has a goalkeeper like that, it's just scary that they can just do that at any given time. They can just, you know, have a worldie stop, all, stop all the shots and keep a clean sheet against you. So it, it's a little yeah. worrisome. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little frightened. I'm a little frightened. Zach How are you Ste- feeling? Gosh, man, I never feel good about Zach Steffen coming anywhere near us doing anything. Um, it's, uh, it's very similar to my feelings as a Liverpool supporter, as when we're going up against David De Gea, it's, uh, just one of those things where, you know, you're going to have to do something relatively special to get the ball by him in most cases anyway. But again, you make a great point about the three regular season games we played against him. It has not been close. It has been out and out, just kind of a, a butt whooping up and down most of the time. and But the one that sticks out, the one that we all kind of go back and, and groan over, the one I secretly watch highlights of when I'm feeling depressed just to like pile on the layers of depression, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to like two negatives, make a positive of it. But the one we go back and watch is is the playoff game where, you know, he stood on his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and, and I remember, you know, after that game, listening to Greg Berhalter talk in his post-game press conference um, because I, we talked about this. I was covering the the crew that night, and mm-hmm. I was just super impressed with the way that he had command of that team and the way that um, he was able to instill confidence in that team coming into a place like Atlanta. And, and you know, this year we kind of see Mercedes-Benz Stadium as, you know, a venue that teams now feel like they make they can they can handle you know that they can yeah. come in and be pragmatic or, or or cynical um one or the other and uh and and you know come in and grab a point but last year was a different beast last year it was a much more intimidating environment for an opposition team um we i think we had a lot more confidence our team uh playing there and and, and just knowing they were going to get points and he had them super confident and super organized and they played a great game. I mean, they played exactly kind of a lot. They, they played a lot more in that game. How, um, how we've seen teams play this year. Um, although without the, 
the shenanigans of the time wasting and the the cynicism. I, I just thought I was just really impressed with them in that game and how organized they were. I, I remember watching that game from the press box and thinking, yeah. man, it's like we looked vulnerable in that game because we were pushing forward and we you could see big gaps in our, you know, in our formation that Columbus, you could see they may have an opportunity to exploit if they were to, you know, get on the counterattack and they did on, on a couple of occasions. Um, and for them, it was the opposite. It was like their players were very efficiently positioned in a way that like they were not conceding any obvious spaces. Um, just a very organized, well-structured team. And, uh, you know, I think he's shown that again this year, Burhalter, with the way he yeah. set up this team and he's got Zardis firing when, when Zardis was like trash last year. Um, he just he just knows how to set up a team and 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 take advantage of the uh, of the pieces at his disposal. So it's it, it, it's a little scary. I do want to make a point. Zardes was not trash last year. Zardes was trash for the last three years. So to get <laughs> anything out of him at this point is really really impressive. And going back to Burhalter, we we've talked about it before. I know I mentioned it just about every time it comes up. But Tata loves Columbus. Tata loves Columbus and sporting every single time. Mm-hmm. Just about and he uh, says those are the teams that kind of. They have their own set style of play and they execute it the best of their ability. And, you know, it works out in a lot of cases. It's working out again when they lost a ton of firepower and they continue to do pretty well. They're, they're hovering right around fourth right now in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, no real danger of them losing that spot or really jumping up any further than that. They're probably going to be in that four spot by the end of the regular season. Uh, in October. Uh, so like an eight point difference between them and NYCFC up in third place and a nine point difference between them and Philadelphia in the five spot. But it's impressive. It's impressive for a team that, like I said, lost their two best scores, except the one they got back because Orlando is <laughs> a trash place. Um, but they've done a ton with, with it, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's amazing that you have to commend them for it. Um, they can, of course, go to hell Sunday, but you know, outside of that, you, you have to respect them for it and uh, hope they enjoy their last season in Columbus. Yeah. I think, and I think you're right. Tata, you know, just like really likes. And I think when you say he likes Columbus, he just, he really likes Burhalter. I think yeah. he just has a lot of respect for Burhalter and same with Peter Vermees in Kansas city. Um, those two teams that you mentioned. And I would throw in uh, Jesse Marsh in there as well from New York rebels. Um, mm-hmm. as teams he really admires and respects kind of the, the style of play and, and what they do. Because uh, Columbus is not a team that that will just hoof the ball, you know? Like, they they actually want to play, um, and they've got some they've got some creative players in there. They've, they've got a, a system, a guy like Will Trapp, um, very good central midfielder who's going to really try to dictate the play. Um, they But they play short, you know? They, they right. don't just hoof the ball like a lot of, a lot of teams do in MLS. You know, you see... You see teams come into Mercedes-Benz Stadium and do that kind of thing. So um, they, they do play a more attractive style. But it, it's pretty interesting just looking at the stats, digging through, kind of doing some research for the game. They've actually only scored at all in three road games this year. Out of They've played 11 road games. They've only scored in three of them. Holy. Yeah, they've uh, they've scored one, uh, one goal in one, two goals in another, and three goals in, in one of the other ones. So, um, yeah, not good for them at all on the road. And I, I read a little bit into um, a piece that Doug Roberson did with uh, uh, actually a reporter that we'll be talking to later in the show, uh, Aaron, Andrew Erickson from the Columbus Dispatch. He did a he did a like a question and answer piece with with Doug Roberson, um, and he was basically saying like they need to tr- like basically Columbus will just be trying to score one like they're they're as much as we've kind of glowed about them and in, in terms of their style of play and everything they're not an offensive powerhouse you know no. like they're 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 just well structured and and they're solid exactly. um but they basically it sounds like their game plan is hope they can score one and just let Zach Steffen do the rest yeah pretty much and, and like I said they lost their two best scores for them to be even doing really anything with it and have somehow resurrected zombie Gassi's artists that's that's remarkable in its own right you know uh, it's incredible it, it really reminds me of kind of the way that Atlanta United has played where um, kind of everything is funneled toward Joseph you know like we we, we heard Tata Martino talk about it after the Toronto game how mm-hmm. he's not worried about Joseph Martinez goal scoring 
pace slowing down because the whole team is basically, you know, formulated to to give him opportunities. Um, and the same goes for Zardis. Like if, if you look at the distribution of expected goals that the players have on Columbus, it compares very like very similarly to the kind of the way that the expected goals are distributed throughout Atlanta United's team as well. Um, Atlanta United is kind of obviously on like a higher scale because they're just creating more chances generally. But it's the same where it's like Joseph has the by far the most. Same with Zardis on on Columbus. And then you've got Iguain and Almiron. Um, both have like a decent amount in like second on their teams. And then it's like a, a, a very, you know, narrow filtering below that of, of the rest of the squad. So um, pretty interesting, I, I think, uh, to kind of, you know, compare those two. Those two styles are kind of similar, actually. Yeah, Maybe that's why Tata likes them so much. I think that's it. I think that's it. And the comparison I kind of want to make is to like the, the San Antonio Spurs teams in basketball where you just all of a sudden plug whoever the heck you want in. And because of the, the style of play, because of the, the coaching, you have someone uh, just kind of pop up out of nowhere and all of a sudden be an extremely improved, if not very good, basketball player for whatever reason. Even if they're someone named like uh, Darun Hilliard or Patty Mills yeah. or something like that. Just just kind of randoms but uh it it all works cohesively together and it turns into something that's really difficult to deal with i think that's all about you know a coach being able to identify you know what a player is good at you know Mm -hmm. like they don't have to be a superstar but if they have if they can do one thing and then that coach can figure out a way to implement them into the team where that one thing that they can do well is you know, highlighted or, or the, that they can just focus on just doing that one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how you maximize your efficiency. That's how you create a team that's, you know, better than the sum of its parts as, as they, as it goes, the, the common saying in, in sports. So yeah, I, I think Columbus does that, does that very well. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game. Despite the fact that like a lot of these statistics show them as a team that, wouldn't present that much of a threat, you know, like we mentioned with the, their, their struggles to score on the road. I, I just don't see it being that easy of a game. No. And the, the metrics would support you a little bit. Just get into those for a second. Their, um, their expected goal differential is somewhere around 10. Their actual goal differential is one. So there's a, there's a huge disparity there. Um, it's hmm. saying that they, they should be getting a little bit of better results than they actually have been, but you know they honestly aren't that talented up front to really to outpace that too much, you know. Uh, but still, essentially, mm-hmm. they are creating those kind of chances uh, at that kind of level to to put them with with some of the better teams in the league in, in a lot of categories. Um, so, like I said, that's the system. Uh, something to note here with Columbus on the field is that they're, they're getting people back, and sometimes from unexpected places. Uh, Pippa stop calling me Gonzalo Iguain is back after missing time with an injury. So that's a nice little pickup there. Uh, he has four goals, uh, which is the only other person besides Gassi Zardes to have more than one goal on this team. Um, that includes Justin Miram, who is back somehow. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, uh, just, just a hunch. He's going to be better than he's been all season. Um, it's almost like he Orlando. is. In a horrible organization with terrible coaching. You know, it's, it's for, for so what we've talked about with regards to Columbus, like they're basically the the opposite of Orlando, right? Yes. They're like the anti Orlando. They're mm-hmm. where Orlando, everyone goes there and just gets worse. Um, <laughs> Columbus is kind of the opposite. What is it that Spencer Hall said? He said that Florida isn't a good place to live; it's a good place to die, and that's true <laughs> for soccer skills as well. Apparently. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and also you get down there and other people want you to die, apparently, because they send you death threats through Twitter and other fun things. Isn't that great? The good folks down in Orlando who have been posting Nazi memes over the break. Isn't that nice? <laughs> nice things of Don Garber and Hitler mustaches and SS bandage and whatnot. They were great. People. They watch they, they watch like they watch Green Street hooligans <laughs> like it's. um like it's like Boondock Saints. They all have like Green Street Hooligan posters mm-hmm. on their on their walls and stuff, you know. And that's oh, what they aspire. It's to. a cosplay. It's a cosplay for sure. 
Yeah. For sure. God, we get another hate week coming up too. I love that we play them three times in a year. Oh yeah, that's it makes, right. It makes it nice. It makes it nice. Uh, but we do have to get through this game first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trap game. Trap game. Trap look ahead game. Trap game. No, no, no. no. It's, it's we'll trap game. Yeah. No, there's no need to look ahead to Orlando. I mean, I, that's just a. <laughs> Just really, I know they're negative twenty goal differential right now. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, man, and somehow are they? They're still above Toronto on points. I mean, I know I think they have games in hand, but that's that's pretty. That amazing. seems impossible, but yeah, sounds right. Sounds right. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about. I want to talk about me. Yeah, that I couldn't remember the lyrics. I song? was like five when that song came out. Whatever. Um, <laughs> bad plug. Bad plug. But with us, it's uh, I haven't thought about us in a long time. I haven't just you know sat down and had like an us day, you know. <laughs> um, get a manny, get a petty, you know, <laughs> just like just really exactly zone in, meditate on Atlanta United. Yeah, nah. yeah. Um, well, I, we get Franco Escobar back. That'll be nice. Oh, I, I think we'll probably go back to a four-two-three-one because obviously we were kind of just thrown into flux with him missing. Uh, last week, or not last week, but two weeks ago, um, and we played the three five two, which actually worked out well. I, I thought Fine. we played great in it. Yeah, you know, we, we got to see Dominic, Dominic. which was huge. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll be back. I think we'll be back in the four two three one. I just think you know the the main question for us at this point, and it's not really something that we have an answer to is is Ezekiel Barco going to play? You know, and basically. If he doesn't, who who slots in for him? So yeah. um, that'll be an interesting one. I, I don't. I honestly don't know what will happen. I wonder, and I, I even wonder if there's a possibility that he starts on the bench, um, that he, that he's back for this game, but he's obviously not in the starting lineup. So um, I do wonder if he's not. So I think the last time uh, we played Montreal in the in the game before Toronto, is that correct? I'm just I'm just thinking off the top of my head mm-hmm. and in that game we played tito on the left so i'm wondering if barco doesn't play if we'll go back to seeing tito on the left and gressel at right wing I, I think that makes the most sense i mean i i can't see barco coming in starting this week at all honestly I, I think you were closer to the truth with him being on the bench i could see him returning to 18 uh and maybe getting in later in the game just to kind of get back into it a little bit. Cause he has been on a break essentially, you know, it's just almost the same thing mm-hmm. as coming back yeah. from any kind yeah. of injury or anything like that. He's got to, he's got to work himself back into that. Uh, but most importantly, he's got to work himself back into the team. He's got to earn a spot, man. There are a lot of people yeah. right now who would take Gressel, just take Gressel outright over him at this point. Just on, on form. Yeah. Just on. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I, I think you're right, though. I think he's been out for so long at this point that, he, he, you know, you, you just lost that match fitness, that match sharpness, um, both physically and mentally. You know, like yeah. there, there's a there's definitely a mental component of being used to playing in a super highly charged competitive environment, um, just being ready for that, you know, um, and having not played in like over a month at this point. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to put a player out there who's not kind of ready to to play with that kind of game speed. So, um, yeah, I, I said a while back that I thought that, you know, it would be weird if he didn't come back into the straight into the starting lineup, but I've kind of wavered on that now because I do feel like he's been out long enough now that there are better options, um, to, than him to be in the starting lineup at this point, just based purely on ability or not raw ability, but just, you know, yeah. Current form, that kind of thing. I, th- I think I think basically with Gressel at right wing and Tito on the left, I think that's your best lineup, even if Barco's available. We last saw Zeke. I'm scanning through a couple things right here, but it was uh, it was on July 21st. So this game goes down what on the 19th of August? It's been almost a month. Oh, was it was it Seattle? Was it the World Cup final day? No, well, we uh, well Carlton start. Excuse me, Carlton started on the twenty first. We last saw Zeke on the fifteenth. That was Seattle. That's right. Okay. Um, yeah. So Carlton yeah. started on the twenty first. So it's been over a month since he's played. Been over a month. Yeah. Which is, gosh, that's crazy. And I can't believe it's been a month since um, since everything else about that. But 
Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not getting into that again. Um, but, uh, yeah. No, it, it's, that's near impossible for him to come back man, straight into it. So I take it back. I don't, I want, I want Carlton in there, man. I want, yeah. I want to see Carlton play. I like it. Like we might be, like we might be better with Gressel on the right wing and Tito on the left, but hell, I just want to see Carlton. So yeah. Hmm. Um, what do you think? What do you, what do you, what do you think in the midfield? Because it looks like Remedy Remedy is one of the first names on the team sheet, right? Yeah, Thick Boy's getting in. Yeah, so no question, he's he's one of the central midfielders. Yeah. So if you're playing a four-two-three-one and you've got LGP and Parkhurst at, at center back, do you play Lorenowitz with them, or do you play at you know in a, in a game at home? Do you play? A Julian Gressel there. I, I think that that might be a, a point of a point of debate. But I mean, to me, I, w- I would play Lorenowitz. I, I, I think that yeah. Remedi has shown enough. He, got- like it's not like Remedi's Remedi's good enough on the ball to actually give you something going forward. Yeah, no, I'm gonna hard disagree on on playing Gressel over Lorenowitz. Um, I, I I agree with that. By by the way, I'm just playing. Okay. That yeah, no, you, no, here, totally. throwing out uh, possibilities. Totally, it should, it just doesn't really fit the way. I don't know. It just it's just it's just not the the best fit we could have. I guess is the, the way to think about it. You know, it, it, yeah, it's what Tata wants. Tata wanted a Carmona replacement. He went out and got it. And last year, he paired Carmona with Lernowitz the entire time. And I don't see that kind of philosophy mm-hmm. changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Fair. He, he got a Carmar- he got a Carmona replacement and then some. You know, he he got yes. Carmona better with the ball um, and thicker. So. <laughs> so yeah so I, I think that it's actually yeah just a perfect fit with those two with those two in midfield it will be really 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 interesting when we get nagby back and just to see what yeah, we do i have no idea there. Man. that will be you know y'all it's gonna be crazy like when we get to the playoffs and we have a fully healthy squad it's gonna be nuts to see like <laughs> what the starting lineup decisions are and like because and you know if we're fully healthy our bench will be quite strong like yeah. you'll either have nagby on the bench or lorenowitz on the bench or gressel on the bench or tito on the bench you know you've got so many guys who could be on the bench um which is actually really good because we've already you know talked about how much the bench has kind of hurt us in these mm-hmm. recent games uh with not a lot of experience not a lot of options to come off late in game so that'll be fun yeah no what's fun What's fun, quotation marks, is that this year, everyone kind of seems to have, at least so far, knock on wood, right? At least so far, everyone's gotten hurt at the right time, you know? (laughs) Yeah. They've been well-planned and executed injuries uh, from a standpoint of timetables for the most part. Um, Nagby should be back by playoffs, yes, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. From, from what we understand, yes. Greg Garza possibly could be back by playoff time, maybe, yes? Definitely. I, it looks like he will be back sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think he a, may only awesome. miss a couple more games. So can we share that? I don't know. We just did. Um, I mean, I don't even know. I, I don't know that for a fact, by the way. I'm just I'm just speculating based on kind of like what we're seeing. It looks like he's doing some light training mm-hmm. um, back in the gym. You know, he's like in the in the stage where he's like regaining fitness. It looks like his shoulder is you know, good enough to be doing activity and stuff like that. So, um, and there are, it's just just speculation and kind of, kind of coupled with the fact that Atlanta United didn't go after anyone in the trade deadline to, to replace that position. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, we, we forget since there are only 10 games left, how much longer we have in this freaking soccer season. (laughs) I mean, we're going (laughs) till late October with the regular season before we even start playoffs. So there's plenty of time for people to get in and, and, Get comfortable, quite frankly. So that's nice. That's pleasant. Next question. Yeah. Big question on, on, on my mind. Who starts at striker? What do you mean? I mean, if you had to pick. Uh, Joseph Martinez? Yeah, seems right to me. <laughs> I just want to make sure, man. You never know. <laughs> Do you, you think know. he'll break the record? Do you, uh, uh, do you think he'll? Yes. <laughs> it was so. It was. I've never seen him. I, I shouldn't say I'd never, but uh, he was in one of those moods when I we talked to him <laughs> yesterday. 
he was like giving all one word answers. It was so funny. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the, the team communication staff had to ask a couple questions from MLS, uh, headquarters who were doing a story on him. Um, it's actually our buddy Payson Schwinn who's doing the story. Um, and they just, you know, had a couple questions that they had to read off their phone and ask them. And it was, <laughs> it was just brutal, man. Like he was, they were saying, uh, you know, are you thinking about scoring, you know, uh, breaking the goal scoring record this week? No. Uh, what would, and then like, you know, they just have another question plan that they just have to ask. So it's like, the next question is, what would it mean to you to score, to break the record in front of the home fans? <laughs> and he's just like, nothing. I just care about winning. That's a, God, a fun game. And then I, 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 then I just asked him about Ronald Acuna to uh, break the ice mm. and to try to break down those walls, you know? Yeah, Totally. Totally. Uh, by the way, that was the best answer he gave. Yeah. And then he went. He, he gave a nice little answer about Acuna, and then he just went back to being surly. Gotcha, gotcha. By the way, go to hell, Jose Urania. Just want to point that out. Oh, yeah. just, I was there last night. It was so fun. You were there. Got the, got the curse lot. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I had, I had great seats too. Like um, Urania could definitely hear us uh, cursing at him. <laughs> well, good. He deserves it. He deserves yeah. it from everyone from oh, yeah. from from you to his mama. Deserves to just dog cuss him. You know. What a garbage human. Dog cuss. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, of Southern things, a fun game to play uh, is to imagine Joseph in his moods as like a like a Gone with the Wind-esque elderly Southern woman, you know? Like, and saying all those things in that kind of accent. You know, like, my <laughs> Lord, I am just in a mood to just, just put that accent with his actions and play along at home. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. That would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What's not fun, Joe Patrick, and I think we've reached this time on our show, is the I – mean, I'm looking for eloquence here, but the – MLS to Austin, woo! <laughs> yes, that was the eloquence I was looking for, and the eloquence you've come to expect here at Five Strike Final. <laughs> um God, man, that's some crap. <laughs> it's so dirty. Oh, shit, it's I'm cramping. So Ow. Fuck. <laughs> what just happened to Sam? God dang it, that hurt. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Shout out to Larry. <laughs> Jesus. All right. I'm back. Uh, yeah. So what happened this week was that the city council approved the stadium plan um, to basically be finalized and executed by city officials. So basically it doesn't, there's no more votes needed by the city to pass it. So it's going to go through, it, it's going to happen. Right. Except, except there's one chance that um, Ohio established a law a state law about sports teams leaving the city after art model took the browns out of cleveland okay and took them to baltimore so that's interesting and so it gives ohio an opportunity to sue and basically um the law says that if a team owner wants to take the team out of ohio said owner is um obligated to offer this uh, this basically the public the uh, the opportunity to buy the team or something like that. Okay. We'll get more clarification on this because we're about to we're about to have an interview here with uh, uh, someone who's well much well versed in this than than we are and right. uh, Andrew Erickson from from Columbus Dispatch. But um, yeah, there, so basically there there's a there's one or two more lines of defense for Columbus, but it's not looking good. This was not a good week at all for them. No, not at all. And I, th- I think we just kind of need to touch on the ridiculousness of it all that the MLS as a league has allowed a a single a single person, essentially, you know, to, to come in and derail everything on his whim, essentially, and completely blow it up and, and take it somewhere else. Take it somewhere else, you know, to, to create this atmosphere of failure, essentially, and have Greg Berhalter essentially thwart him at every turn as far as that. You know, it, this should theoretically be the team in Major League that, you know, the 
the owner wants to move to Miami, so they're going to lose a million games in a row. But instead, you know, the, the coaching and everything else with this team has turned into a, a quality product year after year against his best efforts, you know. But even still, to do enough to keep the fan base away, to not put the name out there, to make it seem and really force a fan base to be held hostage and not want to show up in the first place because of the interactions, because of the lack of the effort in the community. For him to do all of that and get away with it, man. Get away with it. It's gross. It's gross. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And and I think the part that bothers me the most about it is how meticulously planned this has been over a long period of time. You yeah. know, it's not like he just came up with this idea at the end of the year last year when it was announced. Yeah, no, it's, been it's, in the it's not like a Vince Young time. football pass like hit him in the head and he went, oh, Austin. Yeah. A couple of years ago, um, or maybe it was at the beginning of 2017, MLS sent out a release saying that the name of the team was no longer Columbus Crew. It was Crew SC. And that that was, it, it, there's something um, in, in journalism called style, like a style guide. Um, like the AP, AP style is like the way that you write. And there's rules about, you know, the way you say things like numbers are spelled out one through nine. And then, you know, using num- numerals, you know, above that, things like that. So that was the style for MLS was to never call them Columbus crew, but to call them crew SC. And at the, at the time I didn't think anything of it really. I kind of just thought of it like, you know, they're trying to be more in vogue and with this like short name or whatever, but no, but no, it was all a part, a way to distance themselves uh, from Columbus and just kind of it all the, and there, and there's a bunch of stuff like this, you know, just sowing the seeds of the, of this move. That's, um, Unfortunately, it looks like it's probably going to be happening. Bad guys always win. That's just how it goes. Just how it goes. Yeah. But for for the league is complicit in this. Absolutely. And, Absolutely they are. You know, I, I, I don't think that can be understated in any way. The, the league has set back and probably known – from the beginning, what this plan was. And it's a plan that, frankly, doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense. Like, I, I fail to grasp what will be improved and, you know, made better by moving to Austin, Texas. You know, yeah. it's not like you're wanted to really wanted to go to a college town. You're in a college town, you know, Uh Population difference, I, I could check that, but I can't imagine it's that different. And you're also moving to a state that already has, what, five other teams, it seems like. Yeah, they'll be the third team in Texas, yeah. Yeah. So, so what's the what's the reasoning? Yeah, and I, and I would say, you know, like, I think the league has not just been, like, okay with it. I think they've been, like, supportive of it. I think that they think this is a good thing. That's just my opinion. Right. Um, but I, I think that, you know... They think this is good for business, good for their business. You know, they've got this big city or they've got this big fan base in Cincinnati now that they've they've promoted to the, you know, to the to the to MLS, to the, to the top division in the United States. Um, and I guess they want to kind of spread out, you know, the fan bases. But I, I like like we just said that this makes three in, right in Texas. Um, but. Then again, I, that's just aside from the point. I just, just, I just find it disgusting the way this has all been tactically planned uh, by Pre-Cor- Anthony Precourt. Like, really, from the moment he bought the team, from my understanding, I want to get in. I'm going to get going to get into this with Andrew mm-hmm. when we talk. I, I kind of want him to take us through basically the history of Columbus Crew since Anthony Anthony Precourt's ownership. Uh, take over the team because it seems like it's this is all something that has been planned out basically since he bought the team. Yeah, that's just it. That's just it, and he's going to get away with it because because he can, because he can. It's mm-hmm. it's sad and it's dumb and never care about sports because they will always hurt you because they don't care as much as you do about them and. And I got to be honest, I could totally see Precourt selling the team once he gets like a stadium deal, once he gets them settled in Austin and this, you know, new franchise now has 
this big valuation because they've got a new stadium and they've got this brand new fan base. I could see him then just selling it off for, for a huge profit. And, you know, it's just, if that happens, that would just be so disgusting. It's not like pre-court is like some like Austin native who was like a soccer loving guy and wanted to bring the team to his home city. No, no, he, he's trying to make money. Um, and he's trying to use the team to do it. So it's, it's messed up, man. It's a failure on and, every level by the league. And it's a, it's a, there's a, there's a harsh reality that like just seeing this happen, you just realize like this could happen to anybody, you know, it's like there's the league is like you said, the league has been so complicit in this that if the league ever decides that it wants to take your team away and it, because it would benefit them to put it somewhere else, you're damn well, you're right that they're going to do that, you know, and it's just, it's wrong. Yep. That's just it. That's just it. Things are dumb. Everything's dumb. Go to hell pre-court. You heard us. You heard us. All right. Anything else? Nope. I'm going to go talk to Andrew if that's cool with you. Yeah, fine by me. Fine by me. Go say hello. Go say hello. I'll give him your best. (laughs) Thanks. Bye, y'all. And now for something completely different. And we are back. And we're here with uh, Andrew Erickson from the Columbus Dispatch. Um, Andrew, I think you've been covering Columbus for like on and off for a few years now. Is that right? Um, I started at, I started at the dispatch, uh, in December, 2016. So I've been on the beat for a little less than two years now. Okay. Okay. Um, well, yeah, we wanted to have Andrew on cause he's kind of been reporting on the whole, you know, Anthony pre-court moving the team saga for basically since maybe not quite the beginning of pre pre-court's, uh, purchase of the team, but at, at least since things have really um, starting to go in motion. It was funny. We, when I was on with Sam earlier, we talked about how, um, or I kind of mentioned that, uh, what was it like at the beginning of last season, uh, MLS put out like a new style guide for, uh, at least for Columbus saying that, um, they were no longer to be referred to as Columbus crew. There's, they were to be referred to as crew SC. And, um, I suppose I should have, you know, read more into that or, or maybe been a little more skeptical about what was going on there at the time. Um, but I just wanted to kind of bring you on to let you tell the story of, of this whole crazy saga. You know, um, I think Anthony Precourt bought the team in 2012 and then 2013. Yep. can you just, okay. Okay. Can, can you just kind of give us the background of like the ownership transition there and then what's happened since? Right. Yeah. So the hunt sports group, um, they were looking for a buyer, um, around, around that time, were able to find one in Anthony Freeport, who, um, his family had, had been, been involved in, in oil and then energy. Um, and he purchased the team for $68 million. And what was later discovered when this whole saga surfaced in October, 2017, um, was that <clears throat> that purchase agreement included an option to move the team to Austin, Texas. Um, and, you know, obviously that wasn't discovered until after the announcement came of, of the team's potential move. Um, but, you know, that obviously riled a lot of fans up here. Um, and, and since, you know, August in Austin, um, MLS has retained a lobbyist in Austin um, to work on its behalf. Um, Anthony Precourt and Precourt Sports Ventures have hired a lobbyist down there. Um, they started that work um, in earnest really in August, though there are emails dating back to um, late 2016, you know, indicating that this was a process in motion without ever directly mentioning the crew. They started with the survey process to kind of mirror um, the survey, the stadium survey that was happening in Columbus in late 2016. Um, they then explained to Austin city leadership that there was a way for them to get an MLS team, not via the expansion process. Um, so it kind of indicated that they were willing to skirt the expansion process for this to happen. And those emails are, you know, late 2016, early 2017. So um, this process has been, been going on for a while, um, but in the last 10 months, it's it's played out in public. Um, Pre-Court Sports Ventures has looked at a couple stadium sites in Austin. First, they started south of downtown at this Butler Shores Park, then they moved to Guerrero Park. Um, Austin being a very progressive city, you know, objected to the idea of a park being used for a privately funded major league soccer stadium. They ultimately moved to a different plot of city-owned land, um, and that's been debated in city council for months. There's been stadium proposals. They recently came up with a term sheet, then an amended term sheet, 
Um, and ultimately that term sheet, um, which includes a 20 year initial lease uh, rent payments of $550,000 starting in the sixth year, um, as well as PSV privately financing a $200 million stadium. Um, that was, um, that was discussed and then voted on Wednesday, voted for, um, which represents a significant step for pre-court sports ventures in its, in its move to Austin. Um, now the work begins to identify, you know, a temporary stadium site, a practice facility, um, you know, and, and get the loans they need to make a move like that happen. Meanwhile, in Columbus, you have a group of potential owners who are interested in purchasing the team, have the financial wherewithal to do so, have downtown land picked out, um, but but may run out of time on this thing because they're not interested in alternative options once the team leaves. They're just interested in purchasing this iteration of the team. So you have a lot of and, and it, you know, I'm not even mentioning the lawsuit um, right. the state of Ohio and the city of Columbus against PSV and MLS over this law that was passed in 1996 that if you're a sports team that receives public benefit, you can't move without first giving six months notice and giving locals the opportunity to purchase the team. And that lawsuit continues on, has a very important hearing in early September. So, you know, very much a multifaceted issue that's been going on for years. And that's that certainly has many sides and is, um, to say the least, complicated. Yeah. You know, I, I've read up about that lawsuit. And I mean, maybe I'm naive here and, I, and I'm just I, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I feel like there there's certainly a strong case for the state. Um, it seems pretty clear in writing, um, that, you know, it hasn't really, that pre-court hasn't really, um, you know, fault that basically been in accordance with that law. Uh, do you think it has a, a legitimate shot? Do they have a case? Do you think? Well, it's hard to say because it's, it's never been tested in the court of law. So we're dealing with completely new case law that's being tested and, and being examined and picked apart. Um, the argument from PSV and MLS has been that first of all, the law is vague and that's a hundred percent true because, it was a law passed in 1996 after the Browns left. You had people trying to, you know, gain political capital and and um, try to, you know, put owner ownership groups feet to the fire just um, based on what the Browns did and what Art Modell did and and moving the Browns to Baltimore. And you know, I don't think it was intended with major leagues. It was it was written with major league soccer specifically in mind. How could it have been in the first year of major league soccer? Um, so you're dealing with uh, some somewhat of a vague law that's being discussed and, and being picked apart. Um, and now it's up to the court to interpret that. Um, it's up to PSV and MLS to argue why they think the lawsuit should be dismissed. And it's up to the state attorney general and the city attorney here to try to argue, um, you know, why PSV and MLS should be bound to that. And one of the arguments that's come up quite a bit from the from the PSV and MLS side is that because MLS owns the team in a single entity organization, as opposed to PSV, that the lawsuit shouldn't apply because it, it's not uh. relevant for PSV. So they try to find that loophole, but you have multiple instances in public of, you know, the word owner being used. Anthony Precourt's Twitter account was owner until this argument in the lawsuit came up, um, you know, and, and it's it's a term that's been <laughs> used quite a bit um, by Don Garber and other league officials. So, you know, how, how much weight does that really carry? I don't know. Right, right. Now, now, something that you mentioned that I wanted to kind of go back on and just get your uh, your opinion on this as well that I, I hadn't heard of, but you know, in the in the buying contract, right that that pre court signed um, to the, the contract to take over the team from the Hunts that had that stipulation in it that he could move the team. Has there been any sort of uh, backlash over the Hunts? You know, being fine with that stipulation being in the contract? Have they taken any kind of public criticism for that? Because I mean, obviously people are, are critical of, uh, you know, Anthony Precourt and, and as they should be, but I'm just wondering if, you know, people feel any ill will towards the hunts for allowing that to, to be in there and for them not kind of, you know, digging their feet in a little bit more on the, on behalf of the franchise. Without, without knowing how exactly it changed hands um, and how the exact, how the exact purchase process went down. I obviously wasn't in the room when that happened, but um, you know, without knowing that, it's it's difficult to say who's at fault, who allowed it to happen. Um, obviously, that's something the league would know about. Um, whether the hunts too are culpable in that, I I don't I don't know, and I'm, I'm not sure anybody really knows um, beyond the people who were you know intimately involved with the agreement. Um, they have said nothing publicly. Um, they've had opportunities to comment, have not done so. Um, so they've been very quiet on this, just as just as every other ownership group um, in the entire league has. So it's a it's right. a tricky situation for them too, because 
you know, you're not, if you're an owner, I'm assuming going to come out um, in full support of saving the team, keeping it in Columbus and for the, you know, in support of the Art Modell law, because, you know, what if your state legislature then passes a law um, that prevents you from having similar power and similar control? Um, so it's a tricky situation for them, I imagine. But um, without, you know, having direct knowledge of, you know, where the hunts were in that agreement and how exactly that agreement went down, I, th- I think it's hard to hard to speculate. Right, right. Of course. Um, well, to, to kind of bring this back to, to the to the field, to the field of play, um, it's kind of funny. I, I was just thinking about this yesterday, how um, I think the announcement, like the some one of the first public announcements about this move to Austin was made like nine days before. Bef- yeah. Right. Yeah. Like right before they played Atlanta, uh, Columbus played Atlanta. Um, maybe they, it had been announced like during, before the last week of the regular season, but, um, yeah, it seems like, you know, that happened then. And then, you know, obviously there was a big, big happenings this week with the, with the stadium agreement, um, being passed by city council or, or being allowed to, um, you know, be executed by, by city workers. So, um, I just want to kind of get your opinion on the state of the team, you know, like, is this something that you think motivates them at all i mean i'm they certainly came out and played very well uh in atlanta last time this this kind of thing was announced and i I remember you know i I actually knew who you were and um i was in that press conference with greg berhalter after that game and you know he seemed very kind of defiant and obviously pleased with the way his team responded in that game um but i just wonder if there's any sort of sense that that this kind these kinds of developments actually may give them a boost um any sense any sense from you on on that i think in the playoffs it definitely did um and i think guys after they got eliminated by toronto in the eastern conference finals and were maybe a foot away from qualifying for mls cup and hosting mls cup and you can imagine what that would have been like because it would have been in columbus um just the how much resolve that gave them how much it brought them together I think was was a bit understated last year um, and I, because I think they didn't want to talk about it too much publicly but there was there definitely was an element of that um, you know obviously you get into this season and it's we're now you know five months into the regular season and it's still the same situation that can obviously wear on a team so while I think it brings them closer together I think the uncertainty of it and the fact that you know, I'm a beat reporter covering the team and I have just as much, if not more information on the status of things than the team itself. I mean, that, that's got to wear on guys, even though they know this is an uncertain business. So um, I think there's a give and a take with that. Um, you know, I think it's I, I think it's been a, a fascinating case study just because the team has done a very good job of stealing themselves and, and kind of being numb to the twists and turns in this whole saga. Um, but you know, it would have to wear on you if you're a team and kind of an interesting anecdote from that press conference. Um, <laughs> earlier in the week, I'd ask Greg Berhalter a question cause you know, they're going up against big bad Atlanta in front of mm-hmm. 60, 60, 70,000 people. And I asked him a question of, you know, it's just kind of like a, I was kind of joking, but you know, it's just almost like the Hoosiers type thing where you have to go and, and measure the field and, and, you know, make sure it's the same measurements and, you know, kind of convince guys that the stage is no bigger. And he kind of bristled at that question and, and thought it was a little smart alecky. And then he brought up. <laughs> he brought up Hoosiers in that same press conference. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hey, I know what you asked earlier in the week. And, you know, we did that exact same, exact same thing. So I right. thought that was kind of funny, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, and I remember hearing it. So there's two instances I remember, um, cause I was, I was working for MLS that night. And normally um, when I'm working for MLS, I would cover Atlanta. Um, but that night I was covering the crew and, and one of my other colleagues from MLS was covering Atlanta. So I was basically on crew duty. And um, yeah, I remember Ber- that Berhalter press conference that, that really struck me. And then also just listening to Will Trapp, um, because yeah. obviously he's a local guy and he, you know, he had that air about him talking to him post game, the locker room, like that, that very defiant sense of, you know, that us against the world mentality and that kind of thing. So, and it was very impressive. I mean, what they did, the way they performed that night, um, it was as good of a performance as I've seen um, from a t- any team, um, either last year or this year in, in, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I know um, that Tata Martino has a lot of respect for um, Columbus as an organization, but, but but Greg Berhalter in particular. In fact, he, he mentioned it again this morning at training that, um, yeah, he and Peter Vermees are, are kind of like the two coaches currently right. in MLS that, that really have his attention and, and his respect. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, 
Gosh, I mean, I think we've kind of like we we covered a lot of the pre-court stuff. I, I did want to kind of one ask you one more thing about pre-court, and that's kind of about his finances. I was actually just looking through his Wikipedia page. And, you know, he doesn't seem like a guy who, I mean, he's still pretty young. You know, he's, he's not even 50 years old yet. I don't think, um, it's not like he's, a you know, an Arthur blank type or, or a Robert Kraft type, or like someone who's been like a Titan, you know, of, of a certain industry or, you know, he's just kind of, he's been a finance, a financier, um, more or less. So is it, it's, I don't know, it just feels really weird to me that he's, it, it just seems like he's maneuvering using the club as a as an asset you know which i guess it's his right if he has bought the team but like you said they're taking out loans to kind of make everything work um is that is is that one of the reasons it bothers people is i mean it's gonna bother people regardless i guess but uh well it just seems odd to me yeah i mean and you know just just to clarify i mean anybody would take out a loan for 200 million dollars sure that's just standard practice in the industry you can't you know $200 $200 million in liquid assets. You're just, you're not going to do that for a stadium, but right. Like Arthur blank is not, is paying for like a fraction out of his own pocket as well. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, but it certainly is a gamble in moving to Austin, right? I mean, part of the reason why this whole thing happened and what they've stated on the record is, you know, attendance is down, corporate support is down, the stadiums, you know, not attracting enough people, that kind of thing. Um, all of that would seem to be financially driven. So your hope in moving to Austin would be that then you can recover that money and kind of by rebooting your brand um, would be able to have a successful product. Whether that can happen in Austin, whether there's the appetite for it, I, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, they're you know near the top in EPL TV viewership and, and World Cup viewership. So the, the metrics, quote unquote, are, are there in certain cases. But um, you know whether they can turn that in, in a, into a successful product, whether the stadium location becomes an issue. I don't know, um, but you're right. It is it is a, a risk he is taking by going down there that you know your first iteration of what you own didn't work. Now you are trying to make it work in a second location. So I'm, I'm curious to see you know if, if that move is completed, what it looks like 10, 15 years down the road. Are they able to surround themselves with the right people that can get the business aspect of it off the ground, that can make it a successful product? Can they be paying eight to $10 million transfer fees like in Atlanta, um, and some of the front runners in the league, I, I don't know. And I think that's a question for the future and ultimately probably how this move is going, is going to be judged in the long run. Yeah. Well, um, obviously we will all be you know paying attention to it here. It, it's kind of just watching the whole thing go down is a very um, sad and stark reminder that this can just happen to anyone, you know um, it's not anything that's in any fans control. Uh, it's basically, you know, it's just kind of the, you know, the way, the way business works. And unfortunately I, I just hate it for the crew. Um, it's really sad, but, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to come talk to us here. Um, it's been very, very informative. So appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. All right. See you around.